We're still in Exodus. And we're going to be there for a while, even though it's going to pick up pace. We're, we're going to go through most of the what the Hebrews call the Torah. The, and to us, it's the first five books of the Bible. We've gone through Genesis, and, and we're currently in Exodus. And like I told you last week, Exodus can go a lot of different directions. And it, that's the beautiful part of God's Word is that, that no matter which way the Spirit leads you when you study it, it always comes back and it points to the nature and the character of God. And last week we talked about God revealing His name to all generations. And, and we're going to be getting into the the early part setting the stage for God to deliver the children of Egypt or the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, and if, if I'm being fair, getting Israel out of Egypt is the easy part. The hard part is getting Egypt out of Israel. And, you know, I looked at the story over and over and I thought, why didn't God just speak the word and boom, they're out. And, and it's because of that later part, because getting them out of Egypt is not the problem. It's going to be getting Egypt out of them. And I don't know that there's any truer look at our life as Christians than that. We're delivering us from sin where Jesus made that easy. All we had to do was accept that he died on the cross for our sins. Confess that, ask him into our life. But the tendencies of that life of sin are still there. The Egypt of this world is still there. The, the fleshly side of our nature. And, and we... We kind of dipped a toe in that in Sunday school and excellent Sunday school this morning. I, 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 I love that we have such good Sunday school time. And, and this is my shameless plug for it. If you're not here for Sunday school, you're missing it. But we, we just about dipped our toe into to one of my favorite passages of Scripture where Jesus says, if, if any man would follow me he has to deny himself and take up his cross and and we didn't spend a lot of time on that verse today but I mean, that is essentially the heart of this message in exodus because we're going to see that there are two very different staffs in the story of exodus and in your life in my life in the world that we live in so Jumping in right where we left off last week, right after God reveals his name for all generations in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. In verse 16, it says this, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, 
the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. Okay, that's something I need you to log away in your brain, how I tell you to log these things away. They will listen to your voice. That's a very direct statement of direction to Moses. And and we'll see that Moses is going to struggle with it. But And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Now... I'm going to take a, a quick sidebar. Is it is it just me or or are there some people that will not listen to a kind voice? Okay, the, this is not me picking on my kids, but there there's times when their mom tells them to do something. It is a much gentler tone than dad uses and they don't go do it. But when dad brings the booming dad voice out, and any, any other dads in the room have a booming dad voice, the, the one where you have, you have messed up because you did not heed the voice of the queen, the queen of my household gave you a command and you did not heed it. So thus saith the dad, you know, I want you to understand that, that that's a human thing. That sometimes there are people that need that harsher voice to make them recognize something. And Pharaoh is considered a God king in his culture. He's not going to listen to men coming to tell him to do something. He's going to, the only one he's going to listen to is a God who proves himself to be mightier than me, Pharaoh. And I want you to understand there's a lot of people in this world that struggle with accepting God for who He is because they think that they are mightier and they've done everything in their life through their own power. They don't recognize the, the influence and the hand of God in their life. And it's really interesting because later in, in Exodus, we're going to see the finger of God. Not even His whole hand. And God said, Pharaoh's not going to let you go unless a mighty hand forces him to. And God continues and he says, So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. Notice God never calls them plagues. He says, right here, he says, I'm going to do wonders in Egypt. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty, but each woman will, shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, now some things that I've slept on many times right there, you go ask of your neighbor. 
this type of slavery, we, we often see it pictured in the Charlton Heston movie and in the cartoon and the Prince of Egypt, where all we see is them getting whipped and beaten. That's not necessarily true about the slavery they had. If you go back to their descent into slavery, they were allowed to build and to live in the land of Goshen. Goshen, if you slept on this, I'll refresh it for you, was the most fertile area of farmland in all of Egypt. It was the best grazing land in Egypt, which is perfect for the descendants of Abraham because they're herdsmen. And the Egyptians saw people who herded, as, herded animals as less than members of society. But they didn't kick them out, and they even became neighbors with them. So this wasn't just harsh, abusive slavery all the time until their numbers got too big. And then it started to take that turn towards killing babies, harsher tasks, trying to make more of them die from working too hard. Okay, there's a, a subtle warning to all of us there that you, you better learn to work within the principles of God's direction and rest when your body needs it or you'll work yourself to death early. And if you work yourself to death for anything but the kingdom of God, you wasted a big portion of what you were entrusted with. That's too harsh. That's, well, you'll be dead. It won't, I, I won't be able to help you out at that point but God's telling them you're going to leave Egypt wealthy because the Egyptians you're going to see favor with the Egyptians what that actually means is I'm going to make it to where the Egyptians are willing to pay you to leave okay I, I can tell you don't try me on this because I'm I love company and when it's time for you to leave I'll ask you politely to leave I'm not going to pay you to leave Okay, I, I'm not going to pay you to leave. I, I, will, I will probably use Pharaoh's tactics to get you to leave. Okay, and we'll talk more about Pharaoh in a minute. But then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. Moses is my kind of people. Not my son's kind of people. Xavier would just be like, oh, I'm going to go pick that thing up. Not me. If I see it, I'm probably going to let out a squeal that is not very manly sounding at all. And I'm going to remove myself from the presence of the serpent until I can find a means of disposing it that gives me a very long reach. Either a shovel or my preferred method, uh, a Winchester. Uh, but I, I hate snakes. I hate them. And, and this is where I think God's really testing the faith of Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Where Moses said, I don't want to go talk to anybody. JJ would be like, I'll talk to anybody you want me to. Just don't make me pick up that snake. Moses reaches out his hand and caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. 
How simple does that make Israel sound? If you drop a stick and it turns into a snake, they're going to believe God sent you. You drop a stick in my presence and it becomes a snake, you're on your own. I'll deliver myself from your presence. And, and again, God knew that wouldn't be enough. Because a lot of people would be like me, we just run away from the snake. And God said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. When he put his hand in his cloak and he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Uh, for younger people in the room, leprosy is a, a disease that the body actually begins to destroy itself. And the, it manifests on the skin where your skin is literally eating itself. And it turns your hand white as snow. Uh, and a lot of times you'll lose the extremities of your body. And leprosy is still in the world today. It's not eradicated as a disease. Uh, again, this is a friendly hand reminder to those living in the Western world, wash your hands. Germs are bad. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it in his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored just like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they don't believe those two, and they don't listen to your voice, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, this is where you're, if you're looking and you're paying attention, this is where you first start to see that Egypt is really in Israel. The, the culture and the ideologies of Egypt has crept its way into the hearts of the Israelites because the Nile was considered a god in Egypt. And to take water out of the Nile and to pour it onto the ground was symbolic of that you were able to make that god bleed. This was a sign to them to get through to that side of who they were. There was a side of them that wanted to believe all the things they'd been told about their history, but there was a side of them that had to trust what their eyes saw, what their mouths ate, what their bodies felt. And that side was where Egypt had invaded them. And Moses is not exempt to this. We got to remember Moses' story. Moses, his first five years of his life is what they estimate he was with his biological mom. After he was rescued out of the river and returned to her to nurse him, five years. And then the next 35 or so years, he was in the house of Pharaoh. So he was educated in all things Egypt. You think 35 years is easy to let go when you're wandering around in the desert chasing sheep? I don't think Moses ever forgot what the palace looked or felt like. I don't think for a moment when the sun came up while he's out tending sheep, he didn't think about Amun-Ra. When locusts jumped on his arm, I don't think he didn't think about Anubis or Seth. And I'm not trying to give these false gods any kind of glory. I'm just telling you that Moses had a struggle to fight his way through. And then when the God of his ancestors shows up and speaks to him in a burning bush, that didn't make the other 
30 plus years of his life in Egypt just disappear. Part of the problem with Christianity is we think once we get saved, all the desires of our former life will just disappear. And we wonder why we struggle and we fail and we bury ourselves under shame because we don't understand that God delivered us but God's still working through the process of sanctification to refine all of that stuff out of your life. You're not going to get rid of it overnight. If it were, we could lie to everybody and tell you how easy Christianity is and how it's nothing but sunshines and unicorns and little Debbies. Okay, I'm on a little Debbie vengeance right now, so you got to watch out. If you eat little Debbies, you're going to get offended. But watch as this story plays out this morning. And think about the struggles that you have in life and understand that it's not new. Moses has got that struggle going on. And he's going to struggle with it all the way through his lifespan. And that encourages me because there's times that I think, man, why do I keep blowing it in this area of my life? Why do I keep struggling here? I want you to understand that, that God is continually refining and teaching you through the struggle. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Uh, a lot of historians and biblical historians believe that Moses may have had a speech impediment or that he stuttered when he was nervous. Which, people are people all throughout history. If, if somebody stutters like P -P -P Porky Pig, we make fun of them because humans are naturally mean. And what authority figure is going to listen to somebody who stutters? And again, we're in the modern world. Think about the ancient world. You're not going to listen to him. He's stuttering. We don't know the science behind it back then. He's stuttering because he's a coward. Are you going to listen to a coward if you're a God king? And Moses is giving an excuse here that we could justify very easily. God's not going to put up with it. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. This is where I relate to Moses. You want me to go share the gospel with, Lord, please send someone else. You want me to deal with that person? Please, Lord, send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. Again, I told you to lock it away in your brain, and we're going to keep hammering on it. How many times is God telling Moses to lead with his mouth? Lead with your voice. Lead with your voice. I'm going to put words in your mouth. 
This is the message that God is giving to His church. Is I want you to lead with your mouth. He shall speak for you to the people and He shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to Him. Meaning you're going to speak my word to Him so He has it to share. And take in your hands this staff which you shall do the signs. Okay? The staff and the voice become the emphasis of this part of Scripture. So Moses goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Sounds like a good excuse to give your father-in-law. I'm going to go see if my family's still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So God gives him the final go-ahead. And Moses took his wife and sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Okay, note that it says sons there, plural, because we know he had two sons. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And right here, if you're following along in your Bible, there's going to be a one of those, what? what? What is that moment in Scripture? And... We got to get there. Let's do this first. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh's all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. That will shatter some people's image of God in a real quick hurry. Israel is my firstborn, and if you won't let him go, then I will kill your firstborn. It sounds more like Clint Eastwood than it sounds like God. He's telling him straight up, you're going to let my firstborn go or I'm going to kill yours. I, I read that and I thought, how did I miss that? How did I miss that God tells Moses to go threaten Pharaoh with the last plague right off the bat? Go threaten him. Go threaten him with the worst that I'm going to do to him right off the bat. But as we'll see, Moses doesn't do that. Moses even messes up the, the rest of the story because he tries to work in his own power about how to treat the court of Egypt. But here's the, how did this happen in Scripture moment? At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met with him and sought to put him to death. You just told the guy to go do all this stuff and then you meet him at a hotel along the way and you're ready to kill him. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. She circumcised him and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And I'm telling you, it took a little bit of work for me on this one because... Why was that even there? Other than to show us Moses' conflicted situation. 
Because how many sons does Zipporah circumcise? One. So what was the other son? He was probably already circumcised. So why would you only circumcise one of your two children? Because the culture you grew up in that you were still clinging to didn't circumcise their children. What was circumcision from the time of Abraham? It was the mark of the covenant of God. God shows up ready to be done with Moses because he's not even willing to pass on the covenant to his own generation. And I thought, man, you know, why, why did God wait till that moment to do it? But I really think it was more for Zipporah than it was for Moses. Because Zipporah, who by all rights, we don't know that she was raised to believe the same covenant, but she recognized the wrath of God was coming. She recognized that in that moment that they had neglected something very important to God. And God needed Zipporah to be all in for what he was about to do with Moses. And it's interesting because it, in the Hebrew, it talks about that he had actually picked up Moses at this point. Because where it says he let him alone, in Hebrew, that means he set him back down. Which, I'm too much of a Star Wars fan. I see Darth Vader just picking this dude up. But anyways, God's not Darth Vader. But the imagery of, of somebody being picked up and about to be crushed for their disobedience. And it's like, whoa, that doesn't really fit with the God we know. But is God who He says He is? Is, is He able to be full of mercy if He's not able to execute extreme judgment? And the Lord then says to Aaron, after that takes place is when God says, hey Aaron, it's time for you to go to the wilderness and meet Moses. He went out and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak and all the signs which he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the people of Israel and spoke the words in the sight of the Lord. The people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and they had, he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. Okay, get that in your mind. Their first reaction when Moses shows up, does the signs and says God appeared to him, they bow their heads in worship. We see that there's a part of them that still recognizes God. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. This is where Moses starts to put his own spin on things. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. What did God say to tell them? Let them go sacrifice to me. Moses turns around and says, hey, you know, our God showed up and he wants us to go out in the wilderness, the desert, and throw a party. If I'm Pharaoh, I'm thinking this dude is cuckoo-cachoo and I'm not going to let anyone go anywhere. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Pharaoh, in his mind, he's a God. Not, I'm not going to listen to some other God. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now they're spinning it back to, hey, we, we didn't really want to go party. We want to go sacrifice. And, and then they throw God under the bus. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or the sword. Because all the gods of Egypt, if you make them angry, they bring the hammer down. So we don't want to make him angry and he brings the hammer down. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from your, their work? Go back to your burdens. And now you're going to see the staff of Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded his taskmasters of all the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. Making mud bricks without straw is not possible. All you end up is with dirt clods. You put straw in it as a binder and then dry them out in the hot sun. They become as strong as any concrete in the Western world. The, the oldest of the pyramids in Egypt, Dozer Step Pyramid, is actually made of mud brick. The rest of them are made out of carved stone, which is archaeology nerding. We, we won't get into it. But these, they're still bricks that were made in this era in Egypt today. But the number of bricks they made in the past, you will impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. I put some images of Pharaoh up. You will rarely see an image of Pharaoh in hieroglyph, in carvings, in sarcophagi, in anything in archaeology, you will rarely see an image of Pharaoh where he does not have a staff in his hand. Very rarely will you see one. And in, in the coffin, the staff is often made to have a whip end on it, and he has a hook, and, and neither of those were for caring for the people. It was for imposing his absolute sovereignty on those people. Pharaoh had a staff. What did God send Moses with? A staff. I often wondered why God chose a staff. Well, a staff is something that Pharaoh understood. And the taskmasters and the foremen went out to the people and said, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. Before, the straw was always brought to them. They got to stay at home in Goshen, where it was comfortable. And now they're having to go out all through Egypt to get their own straw. They're going to places they don't know. They're going and and having to do things that are hard. How do we respond when God has us go do hard things or we feel scattered? The same way. We whine and we complain. 
And I'll tell you, the world wants you to feel scattered, like you're having to go find straw. When you're wanting to spend time in worshiping God, it's the same thing. And the foremen of the people of Israel who Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all of your tasks making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw was given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten but the fault is in your own people. They, they go call Pharaoh out on it saying, hey, we're getting beaten and it's your people that quit giving us straw. And Pharaoh's reply is, you're idle. You're idle. You're, you're lazy. You didn't get it done because you're lazy. And he probably hurled other insults at them. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. I, I'm telling you, the world does not understand what it is to go sacrifice and go give up your time to worship the Lord. They'll always say that it's a waste of time. That you're lazy because you're spending a Sunday morning in church. You could be getting more work done. And that voice in your head will tell you the same thing. I've been there. Man, I could be getting this done. So go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. And the foremen of the people of Israel saw they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks and your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Which staff are they more afraid of? Are they afraid of the staff of God or are they afraid of the staff of Pharaoh? I'll just tell you, when it comes to us, we're no different. Am I really willing to step out and to do and to say what Jesus said to do? Or am I afraid I'm going to look foolish in the eyes of the world? Am I afraid of that, that if I really step out in faith and do or say that, that I'm going to lose that friendship? Or that I'm going to lose that business deal? Or I'm going to lose that... You fill in the blank. Which staff are we more afraid of? Then Moses turned to the Lord. And like I've said all along, Moses, we're going to see it the whole story of his life. Moses struggles between these two staffs. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, what it, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. One of the most encouraging things about that is that right there shows me that when I'm frustrated, when I don't understand, and when I'm angry, God's willing to entertain the dialogue. God's willing to let me ask questions. 
God's even willing to give me enough room to, to say something foolish like Moses where, why'd you send me? Nothing good's come of it. And you haven't delivered anybody like you promised. It's okay to be frustrated with God. No one ever says that. I never heard that growing up. I heard that was an extreme lack of faith. And I think it genuinely takes more faith to accept that God is willing to meet you right where you're at. And if right where you're at is frustrated and angry, that's where you need God to meet you the most. You don't need to wait until your faith grows. That's where you need to invite God in. God, I'm, I'm so mad I can't see straight. And, and I'm not saying it's your fault, but you haven't done anything to make it better. This has been a story of two staffs. And the staff of Pharaoh, the staff of this world, it has its power through corruption, through shame, through intimidation, through pain, or the ability to bring chaos. The stuff that robs you of your peace, there's no better description of it than it's bringing chaos in your mind. Which staff are you afraid of in that moment? Which staff are you putting yourself under the authority of? Because the staff was a symbol of authority. Well, you know, I, I, I can't do this, or I, I can't say that. I, I'm not strong enough to do that. You're falling under the wrong staff. Because the, the staff of God... It's first and foremost is the proof that God is who He says He is. Where, yes, you changed my life. Does it mean I'm going to be perfect? No. But I want to be perfectly repentant. Where when I mess up, I immediately repent and I turn to Jesus and ask Him to help me not be that way again. It's protection. When the psalmist said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, it's because the staff of God is also serving as putting fear in the enemy. Because the staff was never meant to hit you. It was meant to drive away the enemy. The staff brings peace. When Jesus was on the boat with the disciples in the storm, the storm didn't stop and, and peace didn't come until the disciples asked Jesus to speak. Until the, the disciples essentially asked for Jesus to be the staff of God. And the last thing is it sets life in order. If you look at the, the staff of God, it's there from the very beginning because it, it's a representation of who God is that the reason God is able to meet Pharaoh and speak the language of Pharaoh is because it's not He's a God of revenge. He's not a God of vengeance. But He's a God whose ultimate plan is to put things back in order. When man sinned in the garden, our world fell into disorder. And God made a way for it to come back into order through His Son, Jesus Christ. The staff of God is there to bring order in your life's chaos.
Which staff are you going to choose? Which staff? Because we all make that choice every day. 